0: Praise team for leading us in that beautiful singing. And as I said, it's good to be with you back uh, today. And we're going to wrap up uh, the study of the book of James uh, this morning. And so, if you want to take your Bibles and open up to James chapter 5, it's been a good study, in it? James, I just like it. Uh, years ago, uh, some of you may uh, remember him or know of him, but if uh, you, speaker, by the name of Dawson McAllister, he had a video series out in the study of James, and I believe it was called uh, Christianity and Overalls because it's just plain right there. It's right where we live, and it's like James has been reading our mail you know, and things that he talked about and the things that he addressed. And today, he's going to wrap it all up, and he's going to be encouraging us to have a faithfulness in prayer for Christians, for believers to be faithful in prayer. Now, you know, sometimes... Uh, if we are honest with ourselves, that can be sometimes the, the, the part of the Christian disciplines that we neglect the most uh, until we run into a problem, until we need something, right? Uh, but we're going to look that it's much more inclusive. It's much more expansive as far as what prayer is and where it should land in our lives and what it should mean to us and what all it covers. And so James is encouraging believers saying, listen, listen, uh, you need to pray be faithful in prayer prayer as we talked about here when we talked about Jesus the Son of God and that was something that he practiced and he modeled for us and he would ask his uh, his friends the disciples to let's see let's go away to a lonely place or a desolate place and even right before he was going to give his life on the cross what did he do and it wasn't just because he was going to have a, a very very difficult mission to fulfill but It was his habit, it was his custom, the Scripture said, to go and to commune and talk with the Father. And so it should be the case with us, that it is a regular... Just like the people in our lives that we regularly communicate with, uh, that it's just as natural as can be, and we shouldn't make prayer something that is so mysterious either. Like we got to change up our language when we go, you know, before the Lord or something. And all of a sudden, we got to insert these and thous or something. Like He still speaks in old English or something, you know. That it should be a natural communication, yes, with respect, just like you would with anybody else that you have a relationship with that you respect, and so you respect you speak. Uh, respectfully and so forth but it should also be very familiar because after all jesus whenever he said abba father was showing a familiarity not not flippancy but a familiar familiarity with his father and intimacy there with his father And so if you have your Bibles open to the fifth chapter, we're going to start with verse 13, and we're just going to divide it up and just read the passage and just break it up into little bite-sized pieces. So the first we see there in verse 13, it says, if anyone among you are suffering, or is anyone among you suffering, is asked like a question, let him pray. So the first thing that we see there is that we should pray when life's hard. Well, that's a given, Right? We do pray when life's hard, right? If we have a relationship with Christ, when life gets difficult, we we find a phrase, We we go and we start knocking on the door of heaven, saying, "Lord, I need you. I need you to do something." And this isn't just physical sickness. This is suffering in general. And there's lots of ways that we can suffer in this life. We can suffer, obviously, physical ailments. We can suffer persecution from other people because of our faith, or just because they're, we're in uh, they're they're cruel people. We can suffer persecution uh, at the hands of other people. We can suffer because of the, just the cares and the concerns of the world. And we could be, you know, we could be strained and we can suffer through depression or anxiety. Or, 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 or we could also have lots of different responses to this kind of suffering. We can worry. Like I said, we can get depressed. Uh, we can get, uh, uh, we can, uh, get angry. Uh, sometimes when something is happening in our life and we don't like it it's not fair and we can we can feel this anger building up within us and we can respond in anger uh grumbling boy christians we can sometimes do that in fact have you ever met somebody that just has a tendency to grumble you know in fact you you don't really if you can avoid it you don't want to really ask them how are things going because they're going to tell you you know You know, there's one of those people, like if you're in H-E-B, you walk in, you see them in the aisle, and then you quickly move to the next aisle, you know, and hopefully they don't see you. Why? Because they're grumblers. They grumble. And we can grumble when we're suffering or when we perceive that it's some suffering in our life. And we can grumble. Or when we think that maybe someone is responsible for our suffering, we could maybe seek revenge. And we know what the Bible says. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. In fact, what he's saying is, listen, you can go ahead and take matters in your own hands and you'll do a botched up job. You'll be upset. They'll be upset. Your heart will be, you know, uh, uh, will, will, will be dark and, and, and you're holding all this bitterness in your heart. Or you can just leave it to me who always judges perfectly. Leave the vengeance to me. When I repay, it really makes a difference. So there's the thing, but we can, we can you know, want to get even, want to get angry. Uh, when we feel like we suffer but those are the wrong responses in fact what James is uh, encouraging us to is to not just pray that the suffering will go away but how about this pray that he may give you the strength and the patience to endure the suffering so let's go back to chapter one because we don't want to forget what he said at the very beginning In chapter 1, right out of the chute, he says in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When he says trials, you can just assume that's going to bring with it some suffering, right? He says, consider it all joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, sure, it's okay to ask God to make the suffering go away. But you can also accompany that, right? Just as when Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. But what did he immediately say? But not my will, but yours be done. So when we encounter suffering and he says, pray about it, then pray. Lord, I pray that you might make this time of suffering pass. But in the meantime, and until you do, give me the strength, give me the patience to endure and to be faithful. So when pray when life is hard. Praise when life is good. Praise when life is good. Look what he says there in verse, the second part of 13. Is anyone cheerful? He asks another question. Let him sing praise. Let him sing praise. Praise is a form of prayer. It's directed to God and emanates from a grateful heart. You see, when life is good, we kind of sometimes forget about God. It's whenever life gets hard that we all of a sudden say, oh, I need some help here. You see, but, in, but other than that, when life is good and we're just enjoying it, you know we kind of feel like we're in control. We feel maybe even like the reason why life is so good is because we've made the right choices and we've done the right things and all of that thing. And so we can kind of forget about God. But James is saying, "Listen, if life is tough, if you're suffering, pray. But if, you're, if life is good and you're happy, praise. Don't forget God. You're in relationship with him. So every day there should be some sort some form of communication going on between you and the Lord and don't forget to praise him because we're good at that. Don't forget the Lord when life is good and worry-free. Thank God and praise him for who he is and not just for what he does for you. Don't take life for granted. You remember in the occasion in uh, Luke chapter 17 when Jesus healed 10 lepers? And they went away, he says, go away, show yourself to the priests." And so they go away, and all of a sudden they look at their skin, and they're, they're healed. And boy, it was a glorious day for them. Yeah. And they were cheering, and they were happy, and they were joyous, and they're going on their way. And they're ready for a new life because all that type up to them. You know what they had to do? They had to cover themselves, and they had to walk on the other street of everybody. And they, not only that, but they had to, they, they had to suffer the, the indignity of saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. Don't accidentally bump into me. Don't get close to me. Unclean. Can you imagine having to live that way? All of a sudden, they're looking now like, oh, man, got a new life now new leasehold life, new chapter in life. But only one of them said, wait a minute, Then it, this didn't just happen, and I don't even deserve this. And he went back to Jesus. And when he got back to Jesus and he fell down and praised him and worshiped, Jesus asked this. He said, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine. Don't be numbered among the nine. Be one of the ones that when life is good and you're happy, you praise God and you thank him with the same heart attitude that those lepers would have had. I didn't serve this, but your grace and your mercy did this for me. So when life is hard, pray. When life is good, praise. Pray when you're sick. Well, we got that one down, don't we? Yeah, well, when we take up our prayer our uh, prayer, let's go ahead and, and take our prayer request. It's probably about 90 to 10 that, oh well, you know Aunt Mabel's hip is, not, is hurting her and all, and somebody's going to have a, a joint replacement uh, on this particular day, or you know, so-and-so's dog's not feeling good and kind a of tummy ache or whatever. All kinds of physical attention from the Lord. We're good at that. But he says, hey, look, when you're sick, go ahead and pray. Look what it says there in verses 14 and 15. If Is anyone among you sick? He asks another question. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So he asks, he says, look, put action to your prayers. Are you sick? Well, then call for the elders. In other words, Go ahead and let someone know about what your needs are. Call for them to come pray with you. And when the elders who were responsible for the spiritual oversight of the congregation at that time, when they would come, they didn't have come with any special powers or anything. They would just come and the oil served two different reasons. Number one, oil the anointing with oil could be ceremonial. So in other words, just like when a king was anointed, it was a setting apart for God's special attention as we, as we submit him before the Lord that you would give him wisdom and you grant him and that you would set him apart to be the leader of your people. And so it was ceremonial. But it was also medicinal. Because if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan whenever he found the person that was all beat up and bruised and had abrasions all over him and and cuts, that he soothed, he rubbed oil into the wounds because in that day and time, the oil and the way it was mixed and all along with olive oil would have a medicinal use as well and make him better. And so... You know, years ago I heard Chuck Swindoll kind of comment on this particular passage and you know sometimes we we might feel a struggle when we are sick with something. And maybe we're asking our brothers and sisters to to pray with us about something or some ailment or some sickness and, and and it may be a serious one. And we're afraid and and then maybe we may say, well, you know, pray, but 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 should Should I really go and seek those treatments? Because after all, if I just have enough faith and I trust God, won't he heal me miraculously? And sometimes we may struggle saying, well, is it a lack of faith to also do what the doctors said to do? And I I believe that God has enlightened, even some that are not necessarily Christians, I believe he has enlightened the minds of individuals, uh, doctors and scientists and biologists to discover amazing things how to treat our bodies. I mean, when I hear about some of the uh, uh, the, the um, remedies that they have and some of the surgical procedures, whatever that they have nowadays and what they can do, I'm absolutely, it's mind-boggling. And I believe God revealed that to, him, uh, to them. Why do I believe that? It's because God is the one that, that is our creator and he's the one that made every cell in our body. And he's allowed Him to discover things. But I also believe That even if God uses surgery or medicine or he speaks healing into somebody's body, still ultimately the healing comes from him. The other is just a means to an end. But God is the one that brings healing. So Chuck Swindoll said, so you might look at this passage and say, look, do all you know to do medically but pray, pray. Because what the prayer does, it helps you to solidify your trust in God and your belief in God and the superiority of his will that whether he heals or not, you're still good. Because that's really important. So while uh, the elders or the leaders of the church will come and maybe ceremonial, put some oil on your forehead while they pray for you, still, it's not the oil and it's not the elders. It's prayer that makes the difference. And the one who hears the prayers, obviously, that makes a difference. Now, we know from Scripture that that, uh, sometimes prayer, um, there were people that, that... we were sick because of their sin. We look here and we say, well, now, wait a minute, did they necessarily uh, uh, sin that caused this sickness? Uh, no, not necessarily. But when you look at verses, or the latter part of verse 15 and then 16, it says to pray for forgiveness. Pray for forgiveness, still in this passage. And if he's committed sins, He'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, when you're considering that you might have a sickness, we know that every sickness is not healed. And it doesn't mean that you have sin or it doesn't mean of your lack of faith. We know the Apostle Paul prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to be taken away from him. And what was God's response? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So there was an occasion when it was not due to to Paul's sin. It was not due to... uh, But it was something that God used in Paul's life. We know that uh, uh, there were other occasions where there was sin involved. But you know what I believe it possibly could have been with Paul? Paul said that that thorn in the flesh was not removed or it was given to him originally so he would not become arrogant. Now, you think about who Paul was. Paul, by the time he was in his early 20s, had probably the equivalent of a Ph.D. because of the studying that he had done at the the law. He studied under a, a, a revered teacher named Gamaliel. He was astute, and he was knowledgeable of the law in and out and he was so passionate about the law and passionate about god that when this new fledgling movement came on and they were following jesus as the messiah he wanted to stamp it out because he thought it was every a another false messiah and he wanted to stamp it out right away thinking all the time that he was serving god He even had official papers to go around and to take men, women, and children to prison. He he later uh, testified uh, before Agrippa said that I had the authority to take men and women to prison. Some of them were beaten in prison, and some of them died, and I gave hearty approval to it. All the while thinking he was doing God's work. And then all of a sudden on the road to Damascus, He has an encounter with Christ, and it changed him forever. This man went from being the greatest persecutor of the church to being the greatest missionary the world's ever known and wrote over half the New Testament. What causes a change like that in a person? It's not wishful thinking, folks. It's the power of Christ and changed his mind. But he was a man. He was a man. They don't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is or was. Paul didn't tell us what it was. Scholars think that maybe it could have been, uh, you know, that his body was just so broken. He was eaten up with arthritis and maybe had broken bones that had not healed right because of the number of times that he was shipwrecked and he was beaten and he was stoned and he was whipped and imprisoned and everything else. It could have been, and it could have been that. It could have been that and everything else. Some think, well, maybe, uh, maybe he suffered from migraines or something, you know, or, or maybe his eyesight was not good because in one of his letters he writes, he says, I write to you in large letters. And so some scholars think, well, maybe his eyesight wasn't good. Now, let me disclosure here. This is Scott Riling's thoughts. Take it or leave it. But I think it's possible, possible, that it could have been emotional. Because, think about this, he's already admitted that he ruined countless families that he could not go back and fix. I wonder when Paul laid his head down at night because he's just a man that God did amazing things through, that when he laid his head down at night, I wonder if he heard the screams and the cries of those people those innocent people that had done nothing but have faith in Jesus as the Messiah and he carried them off to prison falsely imprisoned beaten Some died, and not only that, but think about the little children that grandparents are huddling around, holding them while they're going, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, screaming and crying as Mommy and Daddy are taken off to prison. That's not something you forget, folks. And I just wonder if Paul, when he laid his head down at night and those old tapes started playing, he was going... Jesus, please. Have you ever had something that you've done in your life that you just wish God would just erase your memory from that? Has he done it? No. We can be reconciled with our past. And what did Paul write in Philippians where he says, I forget what lies behind, and I press on. I strain forward. Folks, here's a little uh, Insight that God showed me many years ago, I came to realize. You can be totally reconciled with your past. And when you are, that doesn't mean that life gets easy from then on out. Life's hard. And for the rest of your life, it will involve straining and pressing and moving forward. But you do so in the grace of God. Who produces perseverance and, and in your life through that. And yes, Paul had to say, Listen, I got to forget. I gotta, I'll learn from the past, but I can't live in the past. And he said, I can't go back and redo it. And so, Lord Jesus, I just plead your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness for that. But then I press on and I move forward. So when God doesn't heal, It doesn't mean that you're not loved. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. It just means that we must be reconciled as we pray for the healing, that we must be reconciled. But Lord, whether you heal or not, just like what Job said, that that if if I live or die in the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. And pray for forgiveness, because sometimes it may be. As we said, Paul said in in Corinthians, look, don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. We see in Mark chapter 2 that there was a paralyzed man. And Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk. And boy, the Pharisees went ballistic about it. But he said, your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk. Paul said, don't be flippant about the Lord's Supper because some have gotten sick and some have died. Now, only God knows that. That is not for us that when it's Lord's Supper that we start looking around and start checking out and saying, oh, I'm going to watch because I think old Harry over there is about to drop dead because I know something about him, you know. That's not our job. That's God's job. And that doesn't mean that every sickness, obviously, is due to that. But not every sickness, because we're reminded in John chapter 9 when the man was blind, and then Jesus healed him. And the disciples asked, So was it his sins or his parents' sins that caused him? He says, It was neither his sins nor his parents'. That was there so that God might be glorified, that God might might receive the glory. So there was a purpose in it. So pray, pray for forgiveness. Now, we can't forgive one another's sins, you know, but our relationships can be reconciled. So, in other words, in the sense, we can't pray, we can't forgive one another. No man can forgive your sins for repentance before God and, and, and for salvation. That Only God can do that. But we can go to one another and we confess our, 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 our sins to one another so that a relationship, perhaps, that has been damaged can be restored. And God wants us to do that. So when you come up and say, listen, hey, you know, what I did, I thought I was, you know, all in the right and all, but the more and more I thought about it and I realized I was wrong and will you forgive me? And then the person that is ready and wanting reconciliation would say, absolutely. So that relationship can be restored. It was J. Vernon McGee that said, confess faults to one another, but confess sins to God. But that's important. And then finally, pray fervently. Pray fervently. Verses 16 through 18. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit so Elijah was just an ordinary man that God did extraordinary things too I mean we think of that occasion wow we also think of the occasion on uh, uh, on Mount Carmel whenever it was this showdown between the one true God and the false uh, priests of Baal and the false uh, God Baal Two altars, he said, pour water on it, pour water on it again, completely drenched. Then he calls down, and he prays to God a very simple prayer, straightforward prayer, prayer, prayer for God to show himself for who he was. And both fire came down and consumed the altars. Man, can you imagine if at your prayer and your request that God did something like that? Yeah, I, I, I guess you could probably be tempted to sit back and go... Yeah, that's pretty good right there. Well, look what I did. But he was just a man. How do we know that? Because after that happened, that evil queen Jezebel found out about it. And she said, I'm coming for you, Elijah. I'm coming for you. And he ran away and holed himself up in some caves. And the whole time he's up there, he's having a pity party. And God comes in, in the still small voice, and, he says, and Elijah says, I'm the only one that stuck up for you, Lord. I'm the only one. There's no one else in all of Israel that's done that. And so then God says, that's not true. I've got a remnant. I've got 5,000 people. Now, get out of here and get yourself together. Something like that. That was in a translation I read. I can't remember which one it was. But he was basically saying, Elijah, what are you doing? Have you forgot everything that I just did through you? Because when you fervently prayed, and you were, it was either I came through or you were sunk, and I came through in a mighty way. Have you forgotten that? Why are you here believing lies? And that's what the devil will do too. He'll come and lie to you. And he'll be God. This, this still. And you know what? Whenever we're going through spiritual warfare, that's what we need to constantly do. Whenever we hear those voices, we're well not not hear those voices, that might be a whole other a problem there. But like, if we're listening to what we think, because this is how God speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word, Okay, not voices you might be hearing. That's another problem. You need to go see a doctor for that. Okay, But if we're listening to that and we're trying to distinguish, okay, now, is this God or is this the evil one? You know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not difficult to distinguish between the two. All you have to say is, does that sound like God? For instance, if Elijah had been there, does this sound like God saying, Ooh, "You're right, Elijah. I, I hadn't even noticed. Boy, you you have been going through a lot. You are all alone. I don't know what I'm going to do, Elijah. We need to talk, we need to figure this out. Does that sound like God? No. That's not God." and that's what whenever we 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 come and, and and even if we have for instance go back to a sickness even if we have a sickness that we don't know if God will heal us does it sound like the voice of God to say now i need you to worry and i need you to fret some more because if you do that well something might happen so just worry And fret, or does it sound like the voice of God said, listen, I've got this, but more importantly, I've got you. And whether this is in my plan, what you're asking me right now, or if it's not, either way, you're okay. You're with me, and I'm with you. And we know what Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord, he goes before you, he will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. That's God. That's God. So pray fervently. Pray fervently. Doesn't mean we do it perfectly all the time. Like I said, Elijah got... He apparently struggled with depression, as we saw there. But he came back to the Lord and he's believed God. And finally in verses 19 and 20, we pray, we pray, and then then James wraps it up and says, and don't forget about the wanderer. Don't forget about the person who doesn't have what you have. Don't forget about the person who doesn't have the relationship that you have. Don't forget about the person who doesn't have the support that you do. He goes on to say here in verses 19 20, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and, brings, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this could be a Christian. It could be talking about a Christian. I tend to think it's not talking about a Christian. This could have been someone that they knew that was known in the community. It could have been somebody who maybe came to some of their gatherings as the church. They may have come. They're, they're a friend of theirs or a neighbor of theirs. Uh, this may have been somebody who maybe even sang the songs that they sang. This may be even somebody who believes in God. But then all of a sudden they get off the rails and they start wondering and they're out there. And the church knows it. Because there's some words there, it says, bring back the sinner. He uses the word sinner instead of saint. And he talks about that there's sins that will cover a multitude of sins, and their soul will be saved from death. Well, once you are in Christ, you may get off the rails sometimes, and you may go astray sometimes, but I believe that the Holy Spirit who's taken up residency within you will eventually bring you back, and as Scripture says, and James says, and you will persevere. Ultimately, you will persevere in the faith. So you will come back around. Now, it doesn't mean that, say, all hands are off, oh, he'll come back around. No, we shouldn't have that attitude as a church either. We should constantly be gathering around somebody who may be struggling in life. But this is talking about someone who maybe has the appearances of faith at one time, but doesn't have a real relationship with Christ. And what they're saying is, go after that person. Go after them. And we encounter these people every day of our lives. We encounter them when they serve us food at our restaurants that we go to. We encounter them in the checkout line. If If any of you still use those things instead of the self-checkout. We encounter them everywhere we go. We we encounter them in stores. We We may even encounter them in our own families. It says go after the wanderer and bring them back. Bring them back that they might be saved. That they may be in Christ. So James wraps up. And what our attitude should be, that we're fervent about prayer. But it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. It all begins with a relationship with Christ. Effective prayer begins with a relationship with Christ. Assurance when life is hard begins with a relationship with Christ. Knowing that no matter what the end result is, it begins with a relationship with Christ. But he said, when, he said, call for the elders, that when we're in Christ, praise the Lord, we should be so transparent that we bear one another's burdens. That's why Jesus didn't design the church to be a, a collection of islands. We weren't made to live life alone. We were made to live life in fellowship. So the question is, Number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And number two, are you in fellowship with other believers? Let's stand for a minute. And as we do, our prayer partners are going to come here and uh, they're going to uh, be here. If you would like to pray with someone, doing what James just said, to submit yourself, to surrender yourself, to, to be transparent enough saying, I need someone to pray for me right now they're here maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're saying you know what I'm sitting here thinking you know maybe maybe I'm not sure I don't have that assurance I don't have that assurance that if I die tonight that I would go to heaven I, I need to talk to someone because I want to find that assurance or maybe you're right now you feel like you're at the end of your rope And you say, I just need to go pray with a brother or sister in Christ that will lift me up. This is your time to come. This is your time to come. Let me pray, and then as soon as I pray, then this is your time to come. All right? Lord Jesus, we just give you this time. And Lord, this is our time of response. Because Lord, we know that you have spoken into our lives some amazing things from your Word. And Lord, it is causing us to not be passive, but to be active, active in prayer, active in surrendering to you, and active in going after the wanderer. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now's your time to come. Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforest.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus in person on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.